Well, welcome this morning. How many of you just love your church? You're thankful for your church? I love people who are willing to just have fun together. It's good to be together to celebrate the Lord, celebrate what he's doing, and uh, to really press into what we're believing God for. Uh, we're entering a new series, and uh, I'm excited just believing, talking about moments in this holiday season, trying to make the most of this holiday season, and, and really, really recognizing all that Christmas is about when it comes to Jesus Christ. I've heard this phrase, and it really has resonated with me for a long time, that life is not measured by time, life is measured by moments. Or that life is not measured by time, life is measured by moments. And I think that's true as I think back over my year, uh, I really, I, I don't remember every piece of time in the year, but I definitely remember moments. I mean, to be honest, as I think back over the week, I don't remember every part of the week, every piece of time of the week, but I do remember the really clear moments. And since my child has been deciding to just wake up continually through the night, I don't even remember yesterday, but I do remember some moments because moments are those special things that stand out, right? I was thinking over this last year and all that has happened in my life and the life of the church, and I was remembering moments. I was remembering uh, some exciting moments and some difficult moments. How many of you can look back over the year and, and see some wins and some losses, right? I remember the moment where my wife woke me up in the middle of the night and she was weeping and she was telling me, she's telling me that her sister had tragically passed away in the middle of the night. And I remember two weeks later, her telling me that she was pregnant. And then I remember the moment where we had to decide when to tell her parents and then telling her parents and all of these moments, not the every moment of the year, but these big special moments. I remember... Uh, in the midst of having this baby that we were moving out of our church building, our old building. I remember uh, had the, the, some of the phone calls I was making as we were beginning to move out and trying to find a new space. I remember being in the hospital when the baby's being born and Delaney and I are texting about how we're going to get chairs for the, the new space that we were meeting at in the school. I remember how excited I was when I found out we were able to get into the school. I, was ex I remember the moment where our deal got accepted on the brand new building. I remember a moment where uh, people called me amidst all those things that we were facing and they were just so mad at me that I wasn't uh, enough or there enough for them but that they were leaving the church. I remember uh, when we had the moment finally where we got the keys for the building. I remember when our pastoral team texted me and was like, listen, man, we got this. We're going to step up. You guys go be with your kid. You grieve for your family. I remember these very, very distinct moments and phone calls. I remember my truck breaking down and I remember my dad coming and hooking up a tow strap to the front of my truck and then us towing it back to my house and then I remember a really good friend Jake in church coming to my house and 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 helping to fix my truck and and get it back working so that we could have a car I remember a moment of miraculous healing and we just heard one today but a miraculous healing moment where someone that I love said listen God has dramatically and completely healed me and I remember the very first moment that I stood in our brand new building holding the keys and being like, man, all those moments that I wanted to stop, all those moments I wanted to give up, 
it's like it was all worth it for this moment right here. I remember moments. How do you remember moments from the year? And that's just one year. Today, I want to start a series called Holy Moments. We're going to look at four holy moments in Christ's birth. And today, I want to look at a moment of obedience, a moment of obedience. And I want to share one really key thought this morning. If you don't get anything, just please get this very key thought that's going to run throughout the whole message. It's that you have no idea what God can do through one moment of obedience. Let me say that again. You have no idea what God can do through one moment of obedience. Some of you, you know this is true. There's been a time in your life where you were prompted by God, right? Where God very clearly prompted you and led you maybe to say something. He called you out to speak life or speak into a scenario or maybe to I don't invite somebody, not, not just into the church, but into the faith of Jesus Christ. Maybe he prompted you to give something, right? You already uh, give your tithes, you know, into the storehouse, but he led you, you know, those of you who are a part of kingdom builders, or maybe you're still praying about kingdom builders, but you were led to give. I just heard a story the other day about a couple where the husband's like, we're giving this. I feel like God's told us, and just the amazing things that have happened from that moment. So maybe you were led to give, or maybe you were led to do something. You feel very prompted by God to do something, and some of you know that prompting, and in response to that prompting, you do whatever that is that, that he's prompting you to do, and when you do that, all of a sudden you begin to look back, and you're amazed at all God did because you were willing to say or give or do what he prompted you or led you to do. It was one moment of obedience, but you're able to look back and see all that God has done. You guys have those moments? Some of you, maybe, maybe you're like, you know, you're willing to be honest enough and you've been a believer long enough that you're like, I've not only had those, but I've also had moments where I was prompted by God maybe to say something or maybe to give something or do something and I didn't do it. And I, I, was, I now look back and there is a little bit of regret thinking, what did I miss? Like what could have God done because I wasn't willing to follow his prompting I said, you know what, it's really difficult. And so because it was difficult, you didn't obey. And so now looking back, it's like, oh, what did I miss? And that's why as we jump into moments, I wanna talk about when it's hard to obey. Because it's easy to do, when God prompts you to do something you already wanna do, that's cake. God's like, hey, go eat that cake. And you're like, yep, that was already on my list, God. <laughs> right? I've never, I've never had God prompt for something I was already going to do. <laughs> but usually, and often when God prompts us something, there is a level of difficulty. So the question is not how will we respond when it's easy when, he's, when he prompts us, but when it's hard to obey. Let's pray this morning. Lord, we thank you for your holy word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you that you're dwelling here with us in your presence, Holy Spirit. We ask that you would open our hearts and our minds to all that you want to speak and do this morning. And so we open the word of God and we invite you, Holy Spirit, to reveal the truth of it to our hearts and in our minds and transform not only our thinking, but the way we live and go and move and breathe in your name. Amen. Since we're going to be in the Christmas season, we're going to read the Christmas story together and be, be engaged in that. And so we're going to start together in Matthew chapter 1. So if you brought your Bible, go to Matthew chapter 1 and go to verse 18. 
Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. The words will be on the screen. It says this in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. We're going to be here a while, so if you're not there yet, don't worry. We're going to come back to this a lot. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Most people in, in the Western uh, world are at least semi-familiar with Mary because Mary gets an incredible amount of focus, especially if you grew up anywhere around Catholicism. If your family was involved in you know, any kind of Catholic upbringing, often you very, very clearly heard of Mary. But even if you hadn't, there, you know, there's a lot of references in culture. It's becoming decreasing in its frequency. So if you haven't heard of Mary, don't be like, oh, now I feel like a dork. I don't know who you're talking about. But overall, there is a huge emphasis on Mary. And obviously so. She gave birth to the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So uh, attention is warranted, right, that, that she gets. But today I want to talk about Joseph because Joseph is an incredibly important figure in Scripture, but he's not often talked about. And I think one of the reasons that he's not often talked about is that he didn't live very long and he's not v mentioned very much. So because of that, he's not going to get a lot of uh, focus. But there are some things we know about Joseph, and I want to look at those today as, as we jump in because I want to discuss who uh, this man of God was and what he did. There's some things we know about Joseph, and I just put them on a list here. I don't have time to read every scripture, but I just want us to kind of walk through. We know that Joseph was a carpenter. Matthew tells us that, that Joseph was a carpenter. That was his occupation. Therefore, it's very likely, and we believe it to be true also about Jesus, that he was a carpenter, that he made things, that he worked with his hands, uh, I love that about our Lord and Savior, that he was, you know, building cool stuff. <laughs> he was also righteous and a faithful man. Another thing we know about Joseph, and we're going to learn about him, is that he was righteous and that he was faithful. An important feature of Joseph as well is that he was a descendant of David. As we, were, as we, as we have been talking about the Old Testament, you might remember if you've been attending Banner Church that a key feature is the lineage uh, that is going to bring about the Messiah. And so he, Joseph, is a descendant of David. Joseph is also Mary's husband, key feature. And importantly, Joseph is Jesus's earthly father. Now, people said, yeah, he's kind of like his stepdad. I really feel like Joseph is kind of like his adoptive father, because I think of it like my own son. Like, I didn't you know, he, he, he's not, it's a very unique situation that's occurring here. So I don't want to minimize what he is. I wanted to recognize something powerful about Joseph is that he represents all of those men, any shape or size, in any situation who would take on the care of a child who is not fully and completely theirs. I think it's a very righteous and a very admirable thing to do. Young men, old men, any men, if you take on the care and you take on the role of fatherhood for a child that you did not father in a physical sense, you know, you did not cre create through procreation. I think it's an incredibly admirable thing. And it is one of the most admirable things about Joseph is that he takes on a pretty big role, right? walking into this situation, and he does so knowing that the, the father of this is supernatural, really incredible thing. And we see Joseph in the early life of Jesus, 
But the last mention of Joseph that we get was when Jesus was 12, so pretty young. And we can assume because of the rest of scripture that Joseph has died. Even though scripture does not tell us literally Joseph is dead, we can assume that he's died. And one of the reasons is because Jesus stayed home until he was 30, which is kind of more normal now, but was not normal then. <laughs> but again, you know, housing prices were way different in the ancient Near East, right? I get it. Student loans, you gotta do what you gotta do, young people. But Jesus stayed home until he, he was 30. And one of the reasons that we believe culturally is that in that culture, kids of widows would often, the sons of widows would sometimes stay until they were 30 to fulfill their role in supporting their mother who could not uh, support herself physically. And so sons would stay till 30 in, a, in, a, in an effort to support. And then often they would, by that time, they would have had a family and usually a marriage, all kinds of things would have occurred. And then they would often bring the widowed mother into their own home that they would have. The other way, reason that we know that she was likely a widow is that on the cross, Jesus looks at John, the beloved disciple, and he says, listen, look at my mom. She is now your mother, John. And John, you are now her son. It's your job to take care for her and to take care of her. If Joseph was still around, it would be very inappropriate for Jesus to say, hey, other guy, take care of my mom. It was Joseph's responsibility. So it's very likely that, that Joseph is, uh, is, is deceased by this point. So we don't know a lot about that formative life of Joseph and, and Jesus, but there's some, there's some things we do know. And one is that Joseph has a profound moment at the beginning of the relationship when it comes to Mary. Because what we know is Joseph is engaged to marry Mary, and Mary is a virgin. And so Mary is very likely about 15 years old. So these are young kids. These are young people making these choices. Follow me. Now again, 15 year olds then, 15 year olds now, maybe a different level of social and civic responsibility. So I'm not saying picture a 15 year old today. That's the same thing. No, very different, right? Are you with me? But they are very young. And so they're facing the very beginning of their life together. And Mary comes and she tells Joe, she tells Joseph, hey, I'm pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Are you with me here? Yeah. Right? <laughs> you got to be on the same page with your girl. <laughs> if she's going to tell you she is impregnated by God, right? I mean, this is a big deal. It, it's, it would be uh, shocking now. It's incredibly devastating then. And here's why. In first century Jewish engagements, when you were engaged, it was more than just like, how much money can we spend on a proposal and get those engagement shots and be looking cool and have an awesome, you know, get the hot air balloon. Like I did my engagement, we went up to this like uh, Bavarian looking village in the snow and I waited till the lights went and proposed. And I was like, awesome. Like let's have the longest eight months of our entire life now, right? And you just wait forever and spend money you don't have. And that's apparently how it's supposed to work. 
It took forever. It was awful. Uh, but being married, it's great. That's not how it was in their culture. When you were, when you proposed, so to speak, when you got the blessing, when you gave the dowry, when you engaged in uh, uh, an engagement, when you were engaged, it was a formal legal agreement. You were basically, technically speaking, married. You just couldn't consummate the marriage yet. I know, drag. You couldn't consummate the marriage till after the ceremony, but legally speaking, you were engaged in a relationship. That's, that's where this thought comes from, right? You were engaged in a relationship, and so there were very clear expectations like don't get pregnant by other people. Or it still hangs today, right? Right? That's that's I put but here's what would happen. If Mary, so in this example, had sex with another man and had a, and got pregnant, this would be for both Mary and for Joseph, a life ruining scandal. And we're talking about a culture that is a, that is a very tight knit. And in this culture, if this occurred, especially for Mary, it would be a huge scandal, right? To disobey God, to dishonor her family, and to disgrace Joseph, right? Joseph himself, as the recipient of this thing, would be mocked. He would be shunned. It was considered a really bad sin. Listen, you're engaged, and, and you engage in adultery with another man. Such a bad sin, so to speak, that in Deuteronomy 22, which would have been the law that they would have followed because they were good Jewish people, Joseph could have had her stoned. Legally speaking, legally, he could have had her stoned. Now, though we have the instance where Jesus says, he who cast the first stone, they're going to stone a woman. Just so we're on the record, that wasn't common. They weren't just knocking broads out with rocks in the street, right? It was not that common, right? But it was, there was a legal precedent. That's the New Living Translation. That's <laughs> the message. yeah. yeah. But it was common. Here's what was common. So what would happen is that the husband would bring the wife before the council. He would shame her publicly, and then he would clear his own name. And what would happen, because she was publicly shamed, she would then have no family support, which, again, hyper-individualist culture, we might not understand that. But your whole livelihood, your living place, everything was through your family at that time. She would have no support. She also had very different set of rights. Are you with me? And she would have no way to make money except for one very clear way, which most shamed women involve themselves in, which is prostitution. And so it would have been understood in this moment that Joseph was in a very tough spot because culturally he is going to suffer the shame and scorn for this, even though he has technically in so far not done anything unrighteous, that we are, you know, aware of. And Mary, but if he shames Mary, right, her life is over. Are you with me? Here's what it says, verse 19. It says, and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So it says Joseph is what? It says he's a just man. He's a righteous man man and he does not want to disgrace Mary. Mind you, at this point he doesn't even know if her story's true. She's just told him I'm miraculously pregnant. 
right? These are human beings, right? These aren't just characters on a felt board, right? <laughs> These are human beings. This is all that he knows so far. But he says he's going to break his engagement quietly. And I got to say, what love? Because by doing it quietly, what he ensures of himself is shame and scorn. What he ensures is that he will not get good job opportunities in the future. What it ensures is that he will struggle. What it ensures is it might affect his ability to even remarry. But he loves Mary. So he's willing to suffer shame for the one that he loved. Does that sound familiar? So instead of clearing his whole name, he, he knows. The whole town would know. I mean, they're going to know. It's coming out. They're going to know. Hey, weren't you guys engaged about, I don't know, eight and a half months, right? Ago? When were, you know? He knows. And so he's stuck, but he says instead he's going to resolve the divorce her quietly, which doesn't sound awesome, but considering in the context of divorce in the law, it's if they've committed adultery, he can divorce her. And he does so quietly because he doesn't want to bring her publicly to be shamed and to be scorned, even though that would make him better. So he does something that is gentle to her. Are you still with me? What he doesn't realize here is that one of the lowest moments in his life is actually going to become one of the holiest moments. Because look at verse 20. It says, but as he considered these things, behold, somebody say behold. behold. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Okay, that's wild news, right? Can you imagine appears in a dream and says, listen, this is an angel, appears to him and says, listen, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Yes, people are going to talk. Yes, they're going to say things. Yes, they're going to assume that you were involved in this equation, right? But don't be afraid. Take her as your wife. She's going to give birth to a Savior, and he's going to save the people from all their sins. Holy cow, Right? And what I love what Joseph does when, he, when he, he has this dream and he's wrestling with God. Has anyone, has anyone wrestled with God, right? I was doing it last night. Lord, why will you not make my child sleep? It seems so easy on the list of things that you could do. Have you ever had that thing like you made the sea, you made the sky, you made the earth, make him sleep. Make him sleep, God. You're just going through. What sin have I not repented of? <laughs> right? What do I have unrepentant? Who sinned, this man or his family, that his child is still? And it's like, none. It's so that the glory of God can be revealed through teething. Right? <laughs> so he's arrested, right? So he has this encounter with God. God appears to him in a vision, in a dream. The angel of the Lord appears to him. What I, lo what I love is here's what Joseph doesn't do. I'll tell you what he does in a second. But here's what he doesn't do. He doesn't explain it away. He doesn't say, well, I had that weird old chimichanga from the other night that left in the fridge. That was probably what it was. It's probably a weird dream, right? I, I don't know. We've been talking about a lot of, you know, spiritual things at church. And I don't know, maybe my mind just got there, right? It's late. I stayed up. I was watching Supernatural. And now I'm having weird dreams, right? 
he doesn't argue with God, right? He doesn't argue with the angel. He doesn't say, wait, that's not fair. Listen, you can't ask me to take, if I take this woman as my wife, people are going to think that I, that we've done this. People are going to shut us down. It will limit my future. It will mean that I won't be able to make what I could make and do what I can do and be what I could really be because I'm going to be with her. Listen, that's not fair. You really want me to put my whole name and my family's name on the line for a dream? Doesn't say that. He also doesn't ask for a second sign. Okay, God, I really want you to be sure. I'm going to test it. I need five angels, all with a code word that I'm going to write down now. Go. All right? Now, they need to draw this code word, and I have to guess it in three words or less. Right? No, he doesn't do that. He doesn't ask for all the details. He says, listen, before I really sign on to this, you better tell me what I'm getting into here. Because I... If I'm going to believe you, then I have to see it fully and completely with my own eyes. I have to know what's going to happen. And I got to say, I'm glad that God does not do that because I don't think we'd have any obedience if we knew what we'd actually face when we finally obeyed. But he doesn't ask for all the details. Here's what he does. Look at verse 24. If you're there in your Bible, say amen. Amen. It says, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. And we need to read that again. When he woke from the sleep, right then, what did he do? He says, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. It says, he took his wife, but he knew her not. You guys know what that means? Until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Man, if there would be one statement that we as believers would be known as, there'd be one thing that could resonate and be known of us in our lives is that we did what the Lord asked of us, that we did what the Lord commanded us, that we were obedient without all the details and without having to know everything. Listen, church, you do not need to understand completely to obey immediately. You and I, we are not God. He is God. We have a finite grasp of basically everything. We do not need to understand completely to obey immediately, immediately. See, Joseph, he just, he did not have much info. Think of the details that Joseph did not know. He did not know that he was going to take a hundred mile journey with a pregnant woman on a donkey. That's, I don't even like flying with pregnant women, right? I can't imagine taking my wife on a road trip. My wife is like the toughest pregnant woman I've, I've ever met. You can't, you have to force her to complain about something. Amen. And I can't imagine being like, babe, we got to get on the donkey. We're going on a hundred mile journey. There will be animals. There will be elements. There will be robbers. She'd be like, no, we're going to have the savior right here. Right? But no, hundred, he didn't know hundred mile journey with a pregnant wife. He didn't know they'd be born in a barn slash cave slash manger slash animals everywhere. Try telling your pregnant wife, young men, that she needs to give birth near animals. Some of you are really crunchy. You're from the Northwest, so that might do it for her. But try telling a normal woman that and see, and see what they're about. They're not going to be about it. He didn't know that King Herod would decree that all the males should be killed. He didn't know that every boy his son's age, the, the, the boy that he's been entrusted with. He didn't know every boy his age would be murdered. Think about that. You know, he'd have to flee his home to Egypt. You know, have to live on the run. He didn't know that all these babies would be slaughtered. He probably, he didn't know the guilt. Can you imagine the guilt of knowing that? 
that this one kid, every kid, imagine every kid in your town, your kid's age is killed. He doesn't know that. He didn't know the weight of raising the son of God. Sometimes I feel like my daughter is perfect, but she's not literally perfect. She's not the savior. Could you imagine stepdadding the savior of the universe who's perfect? Every fight ends with you being wrong. <laughs> Every single one. There's not one where you're right. You're always wrong. And he's going to die for you being wrong in that fight. But just the weight of that, I can't imagine as a father feeling the weight of raising the son of God. But without knowing those details, what does it say? It says, Joseph obeyed immediately. He got up and he did what the Lord commanded. How does this apply to you? Well, at some point, God is going to prompt you. He's going to speak to you through his word, by his spirit, a prompting. Maybe you're going to be here, going to be in a relationship series. We have a series coming up in the new year on the Song of Solomon. You're going to be prompted in your relationship. You're going to begin to recognize things that are ungodly. And you're going to say, well, no, 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 no. He's, he's a really good guy, and he's really great. You know, when he's not doing da, 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 he's really great. I put so much time into this. I'm really thinking he's turning a corner. And you know that the Lord is saying, you need to break up. You say, yeah, but I've given so much time. Listen, when God prompts, the question is not, do you know everything? It's, will you obey or will you not obey? For every single one of us. Right, maybe God's prompting you. Man, it's time to serve. You got gifts and talents. It's time to serve your church. It's time to serve your community. Like, I'm just so overwhelmed. I don't, I, I don't want to change anything. I've built my life to sustain a style and, and a time that I like, and it's for me. And God, But God's prompting, and you're torn. You're like, I, God, I'm feeling overwhelmed. Maybe the Lord is prompting you to give. You were here on Kingdom Builders Sunday. It just like made you mad, the idea of being above and beyond generous because God was beginning to push on your heart. And you're like, things are, things are tight for us right now, right, right now. And it wasn't the pastor who was doing it, but you felt the Lord leading and calling you. But you're like, listen, I, I understand you're prompting me, God, but I'm resisting. Maybe you feeling God prompts you to forgive somebody. You're reading in the word of God. You're like, oh my goodness, I'm reading in the word of God that it says that, that if I do not forgive, there's dramatic kingdom consequences for that lifestyle that thinks that I can accept the forgiveness of God but not forgive other people. But you're like, there's just some things I don't know if I can forgive. But God is prompting you to release that because the desire is that you would experience the freedom and the power of a new life in Jesus Christ. Not just to be Jesus adjacent, but to be fully born again to the resurrection and life, but unforgiveness is holding you back. You've been around long enough to participate in the motions, but you don't have the intimacy. And God is beginning to prompt you and lead you and guide you. And the question is, will I obey the Lord's command or not? And I understand, man, when God is prompting you to do something, when he's asking you to move to do, to do something, it's not easy. You don't know the details, right? You're not going to know everything that will happen. You can't see the future. You can use good discernment and wisdom, but you can't see the future. But here's the truth, church. Obedience is our responsibility. The outcome is God's responsibility. See, obedience is, is my responsibility. The outcome of whatever God prompts me to do is his responsibility. The other day I was talking to my wife as we were prepping for Christmas. I was like, hey, do you remember, you remember this person? And 
I, w- I was thinking about this a lot. We had a Christmas Day service. How many of you remember Christmas Day service? Yeah, we had a Christmas Day service. It was really fun. Uh, we gave all the kids special Bibles. My son can't even read, but he still likes bringing it out, and he'll like be looking through it and then looking at me. I'm like, you want to read something? He's like, yeah. And so we read something. It's like the cutest thing he does. Um, and uh, so we had this service, and my wife had met this person uh, a week before, and they were in our parking lot. They were just sitting there. And that, that happens a lot when you have a church parking lot. People just come in. They don't really know what to do. And so they just kind of like sit there. And you go out and you're like, hey, anything I can help you with? And sometimes they're like, no. And they're like, okay, leave. And uh, <laughs> other times people are like, yeah, hey. And then, you know, they want prayer or something. So my wife prayed with this woman. And she said, listen, I, I moved down here. And I moved down for, for a job and, and a place to live. And when I got here, the whole thing fell apart. I'm just in my car. I've, I don't know where to go or what to do. And so she said, I'm going to get an Airbnb, right? And so she got an Airbnb. And at the time, everybody was getting Airbnbs. I mean, people were traveling and kind of getting back into it. And so she gets an Airbnb. And Katie says, my wife says, hey, why don't you come to the Christmas service with us? And so we, she invites her, says, come out. And so Christmas morning, we're, you know, we're sitting there. And, and um, I, I did the service. And I'm, like, ready to go home. Can I just be honest? Like, Christmas morning service, I loved it, and then I'm ready to go, just like you, right? You that showed up, because I also have kids, and I'm also, like, ready to rock, and so it's, like, me and the band, and we're, like, packing up. We're, like, let's get out of here, right? Like, we're ready to go, and the Lord just keeps, have you ever, the Lord just keep directing you to something over and over and over again, and I just felt the Lord, like, you need to go talk to this gal, and it's, like, I'm not going to talk to this gal. Like, I'll send, like, Delaney. Like, I don't make a habit. I'm just saying right now, I don't make a habit of just like individually talking to young women as a grown man. I'm just, you know, as a rule, uh, I love you, but, you know, I bring someone with me, a woman with me, come with me. Um, and, and so I just feel like the Lord over and over, I'm like, God, I want to go. Like, man, I got, some, I got some waffles to eat. Like, I got some stuff to do, like, which is ironic because it's his birthday, so he kind of gets to decide what happens on it, right? <laughs> It's like, well, it's his birthday. And so I, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go talk. So I go up to her and I just start talking with her. And luckily one of our awesome prayer team members are there. And as I'm talking, I'm just like feeling, sensing her heart. And she's saying, listen, I, uh, she was like, yeah, she wasn't very forthcoming. But she's like, I don't have a place to stay because the Airbnb I was at lost power. And I'm trying to get a new Airbnb, but it's Christmas. And nobody really wants to deal with Airbnbs on Christmas. They want to do Christmas with their family. I'm like, so you have nowhere to stay. And I felt the Lord say, you, should, you need to invite this woman to come stay with your family tonight. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> no. It's not, again, I, we have a family habit of this, of just inviting people. But I was like, I've never met this person. I have two little kids, right? I know nothing about, I'm going to bring someone I don't know into a home with two little kids. I'm not sleeping tonight. I'm wide awake all night. There's no way I'm getting any sleep if this gal comes and stays with us. And she seems sweet. I just felt the Lord say like, no, you need to, you need to invite her to come stay with you. And so I was just like, okay. So I just looked, just looked up and said, do you want to come stay with us? Have Christmas dinner and stay with us. You can, I refuse to let you uh, be just out on the street tonight. Like you need to be somewhere with people who love you. And she was like, oh, yeah, I I would love that. And then I went to my wife and I was like, hey, so 
God told me, kind of like when you guys come and tell me something you know I'm not going to like to hear, and you're like, God told me, I've been praying about. That's what I went with Katie. I was like, so God told me, because you can't argue with that, right? That's what you bring to your pastor. I've been praying about it for a long time and talking to everybody who agrees with me. We think this is what the Lord says. That's what I hit my wife with. I was like, <laughs> I was like, God has said, no, I was like, hey, so um, I made a semi-strong commitment to have someone come to it. And I was like, can we just talk about this? And my wife's amazing. She's a woman of God. So she's usually eight steps ahead of me on hearing the Lord. And she was like, yeah, let's, let's do it. Uh, and so we had this gal, she came and she stayed with us and we got to just minister to her and have these conversations in these times. And my wife was able to get very close with her and just begin to find her connections and, and, and a place for a job and a place to stay and begin to do these, these, these things where God began to open up opportunities for something just really simple and really, I don't know, not dumb, but just really, really simple, right? Just come be in our home. And when I say obedience is our responsibility, this is what I mean. It has nothing to do with, I, we're, I'm not great. I hope I'm not trying to make myself sound good. I hope I sound like a dork in that story because that's what I was. But obedience is our responsibility. It's our responsibility to listen to God and respond to where he's leading. See, I, I love discipleship. I love teaching. I think we need more and we're, we're in a season of of growing in our teaching and establishing an incredible discipleship process. But here's my fear. I think one of our problems as modern believers is that we're educated beyond our level of obedience. Like, you know the Bible. You know what it says. But do we do what it does, what it says to do? How many of us have life, have head knowledge without life application? I were like, feed me, feed me, feed me. Pastor, I need more. Pastor, I need more. What are you doing with what I gave you last week? Well, I got that hidden in the back. Well, then it's just going to rot. Where are you going? What are we doing with it? See, we're, we're, we're over-informed and underutilized. Most of us, it's not that we need to know more, though, though the growing in knowledge and understanding is great. It's that we need to understand that to begin obeying, you don't need to know everything. You just need to know what God has commanded you to do. We need to obey what we know. We need to get into the word of God. Are you with me? Read the word of God and do what it says to obey God and trust him with the results. Most of you, if you're believers and you've been here at Banner Church, you know what the word of God says about loving those around you. Do it. Not as many mm, amens at that, except for Gil on that one. <laughs> Maybe that came across meaner than I meant. I meant I'm with you. And that I love to be in the word, but I also need to be in application. To obey God and not have to control or know every detail. I can be a control freak a little bit. Anybody else out there? Yeah, amen. But to trust God. See, Joseph didn't know the details, but he did what the angel told him. The angel said, go, go back again, Matthew 120. said, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit shall bear a son, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He says, this child within her, it's conceived by the Holy Spirit. It's miraculous, and it's important. Why is it important that it's conceived by the Holy Spirit? Well, because if Jesus is conceived by an earthly father, then he inherits the sin nature of mankind, right? All of us born of earthly man and woman, 
are inherit the sin nature of mankind, but Jesus is conceived by the Holy Spirit and the Heavenly Father, so he is therefore has a heavenly or a spiritual nature, which means he doesn't have a sin nature. He's without sin, and therefore he can be the perfect sacrifice to take away the sins of the world, to save the people of the entire earth. See, you and I, we all have a sin nature, right? Anyone here, you don't have to raise your hand, struggle with jealousy? You're like, yeah, right here, right? Lust, greed, I don't know, pick one. This is what I love is that what's happening here is saying, listen, he's gonna be born of the Holy Spirit. He's gonna be the perfect sacrifice. So no sin is too great for God's grace. The angel says, Joseph, don't be afraid. Take Mary as your wife. She will have this child by the Holy Spirit. And here's one thing Joseph does know. He does know that when he obeys God, he will face serious opposition here, right? Culturally, he knows he's going to face some opposition. Relationally, he's going to face some opposition here. He knows he's going to face opposition, right? Are you with me? There's going to be some difficulty here. But come on, let's be honest. Anyone who's listened to the voice of God, right? In our lives, every significant faith-filled act has involves some kind of significant opposition, right? When I became a pastor, I left a job that was awesome. Design, I was an architecture student working in an architecture firm. And I was like, man, I, I, I just knew that God was prompting and leading me and confirming a call to full-time ministry. And I had to go tell my parents who were very gracious, not super psyched, but very gracious. They've come around. We're doing all right. <laughs> If you don't know, my dad's one of the leaders on our team. That's why I'm resident. Uh, to leave that job and to, and to come and to be involved in that. When we moved to Mesa, people in the Northwest were like, why? When we moved to Arizona, right? We moved to Tempe. People were like, why? Why are you moving to Arizona? It's so hot. Do they even have teriyaki there? Why are you moving there? What are you going to do there? What's even going to happen? Do you know how many church plants fail? I can't tell you how many people said like, do you know how many church plants fail? It's like, yeah, I, I do. I read, that's my job to read those things. I know exactly how many fail. When we, I'm, we'll keep being honest. When we launched into Mesa, you know, people were like, I don't know if that's going to work. You can't move a church. You can't move a church. You can't move a city. I'm like, well, the Lord has told me. So it's up to him if it wins or if it fails. And I'm, I'm just riding it. I'm obeying. Guess what? It's working great. Amen. When we were buying a building, oh my gosh, bought this building, about went crazy. The legal battle to get this thing settled, oh my goodness, Nino's here, my goodness, dude. We all about packed it in and burned that place to the ground about a month and a half in, right? <laughs> my goodness, see, these are the stressors under the surface. People are like, when's this building going to be done? It's like, better question is, will it still be standing? <laughs> There's opposition. Man, when we started pursuing presence, Brought, brought Barry and Candy on, really focusing on discipleship, we feel like God began to stir a deep desire for presence. When people are like, I don't want to see the Holy Spirit show up, I'm out. I'm like, all right, well, he's still going with you. Heights or lows, he's going to be there. There's opposition. Why are you going to pursue that? We're going to go after presence because we believe in presence and because God commanded us to, and our job is to obey. 
This is what happens when, when, you, when you change what you're doing. For some of you, maybe that's, that's changing the, the group of people you're involved in. They're leading you away from righteousness. For some of you, that's being generous. Maybe, maybe uh, for you, it, it's a new season where you're beginning to serve others. And maybe for some of you, it's inviting people into your home. Such a profound act. Maybe it's loving the lost. Maybe it's being near difficult people. Maybe it's sharing your faith. People are going to say, man, you're dumb and that's crazy. I've been hearing that my whole life. It's starting to become a mantra, right? Because when you follow God and when you do what he commands, people who are not operating that way will not understand. But I just want to encourage you, don't worry, that's very normal. Here's what I will say. Don't worry when you face opposition for your obedience to God. Worry when you don't. Some of you got to come back to that in your own time. Obedience is difficult. It's going to cost you. I remember this gal, she texted my wife, the gal came and stayed with us. In fact, man, you can come up. And she, she was like, man, this has changed the direction of my life. And we don't even talk anymore. I was just asking, I was like, have you heard from her? She's like, no, we, we, don't, we don't really talk much anymore. She moved on. She's doing something else. But she said, it changed the direction of my life that someone believed in me. And uh, it's because Katie's a saint. But I was thinking about this as she was texting and messaging us after this moment in the new year. She's like, it's crazy what God is doing and how he's moving and what he's making happen in my life. And I was just so pleased because what we did was so small and, you know, in the scope of the world. Hey, come have dinner with us. But then I, I thought about it really heavily and I, I, wa I wanted to encourage you with it. That the thing that you think is so small it might not be significant is often the most significant thing that conversation, that person you invite into relationship, that person you go and sit with at work, that person you always see on the Zoom calls and they always look a little sad and, and you send that message and you say, hey, I'd love to just maybe meet up for coffee. And you don't say anything, you just listen. And you listen to what's happening in their life and you're there for them and begin to speak joy and life of Jesus. You have no idea. Wherever the Lord prompts you, you have no idea what God can do through one moment of obedience. The angel said, Joseph, take Mary as your wife. And Joseph obeyed. It was a moment. It could have been a low moment, because, but because he was walking with the Holy Spirit, it was a holy moment. And it's life is not measured by time. Joseph certainly is not because he didn't have much time, but it was measured in moments. It was measured in a key moment. We all have moments where God is prompting us. I don't know what your moment is or what it will be, but we all have moments where God is prompting us. And you might not understand completely, but it's time to begin to just obey God immediately and follow him. So my question today is, where is God prompting you? And is your heart ready to be obedient to the Lord? That might not be the spiciest altar call we've ever had. Is your heart ready to be obedient to the Lord? But none of the spicy altar calls matter <laughs> without that one. Just my heart ready to follow God. Are you still with me? Let's do this then. Let's stand together. I know you've been waiting to get up out of those chairs. As you stand, would you just bow your head with me? Here's what we're going to do. Katie said at the beginning, she talked about the healings that have taken place. So we've been telling people, like, just come forward and pray. We've been seeing healings. So we're going to do that today at the end of service. Whatever it is, relational, health, physical, whatever it might be, we're going to pray together for healing. I'm, I'm, I might even come get prayer. I tore my shoulder out. 
but we're going to pray, whatever it is. But there's a bigger prayer that I really believe that I, I think the Lord is seeking for us today. And it's, will I obey what God is prompting? Maybe he is prompting you right now. Maybe he has prompted you. Maybe you just want to be ready as you know he's going to prompt you. Is my heart ready to obey the Lord? I want to pray with you. Would you just bow your heads with me? It's you and God. Here's the question I want you to ask. I'm just going to pause for a second. Is my heart open and ready to follow where the Lord prompts and commands me to go? Is my heart open and ready to follow where the Lord says to go, to do what he says to do? Or are there parts of my heart, of my life that I have shut off to him, that I'm unwilling to follow his prompting? Or maybe I'm afraid to follow his prompting and I need to say, Lord, I trust you. Whatever it is, we're just gonna pause. The band's gonna stay right here so that we have a reflective moment just for a second. We're gonna go into a response moment, but we're gonna reflect together here real quick. Search your heart. Say, Lord, search my heart. Is my heart willing to obey where you lead, to go where you go, to follow you in every way? Is my heart ready for that? Just take a moment, search your heart. And as you do, just pray this very simple prayer. God, all of my heart is yours. I give you all of my heart. And however you lead and however you call and wherever you go, all my heart is yours. Take this moment right here. Thank you for listening to the Banner Church Podcast. We hope this message was impactful for you. Check the episode notes to visit our website, follow us on social media, and subscribe to our podcast. We'll see you again next week.